Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Asian CRE Network podcast. We are on episode seven and premiering this episode on July 29th, 2020. Wherever you're listening to this and whenever you may be listening to our voices, we wish you all the health, safety, and happiness in the world. Please do stay safe. Please do uh, keep your masks on and, and wherever you are globally, um, please take care of your health. Um, far more important than uh, much of what we'll talk about today. We're really excited and delighted to have our very first international guest uh, with us today. And so we have the tag team duo of YD Development based in New York City and their two principals, Derek and Yuri. And Yuri is joining us all the way from Korea today um, or tomorrow, because it's tomorrow there as we speak today. <laughs> and so uh, we're going to talk about their, uh, how they ended up in real estate development from various career paths. We're going to learn a little bit about what it is to run a real estate development business in the real estate capital of the world in New York City and learn a little thing about something called co-living that they're they, they are working on and also some tips for anybody listening who might be interested in getting into the real estate development career. So thanks so much for tuning in today. And with that, we will introduce our, our guest today. Yuri, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jerry and Karina for having us on the show. We're very excited. Um, so let me tell you, I'll tell you the LinkedIn version and then I'll tell you <laughs> what I tell my friends. Um, so I am from Korea. I went to boarding school in the States in Newport, Rhode Island, um, starting in ninth grade. And then I went on to Brown University. And after graduation, I went to Cardozo School of Law, which is a part of Yeshiva University in Manhattan, New York. Um, after graduating, I worked as a lawyer, getting, I mean, having passed the bar exam. I worked for LG uh, which is a Korean large conglomerate, um, multinational corporation. Um, I worked in, worked in their legal team in their pharmaceutical company. And then I also worked at their electronics company, which is the company that you guys are probably most aware of. Um, and uh, after five, almost five and a half years, um, I quit. <laughs> the law school thing was a very much... Uh, uh, my parents forcing me to go to thing as I'm sure if you guys are uh, Asian Americans listening to this, you all know what that means. <laughs> so uh, I went through all that, um, but I always knew I wanted to be in real estate. My parents, so the non-LinkedIn version is that my, my father is an architect and he owns a pretty big, large pretty large uh, architectural firm in Korea. And I've every weekend with him, I've always been on site <laughs> to <laughs> look at different sites. Um, so real estate and construction and um, development has been a huge part of me since ever since I could remember. Um, and then coincidentally, I married an architect. Ta-da! <laughs> so, so that sort of um, is the, the whole industry and the whole environment is very natural to me and um so one day i decided to quit lg electronics and i just quit and came home and i told my husband i quit and then he was like hmm? <laughs> and so i uh i started uh, looking for a job in real estate and because of my legal background and i had i had no at that point i had zero real estate background so I didn't know where to start. I just looked up. I, I just went to LinkedIn and searched for real estate jobs. And then this one company that popped up 
uh, was Buzz Buzz Home, which is a Canadian-based startup, which is sort of like street easy um, for Canada, except they only specialize in condos um, that are new, new construction condos, uh, which is interesting, which is a very niche market. But apparently they were doing very well in Canada, so they were looking to expand in New York City. So I joined them um, as one of four members uh, on their New York City team. And that's how I got into real estate. Um, so in that company, I worked on different marketing and other data collecting for new construction homes um, all over the country. And while doing that, I was like, I can't be doing this all my life. So I decided to sell my apartment um, in New York City uh, and buy a piece of land in Harlem because that was the only piece of land that I could afford at the time. Uh, so I bought a piece of land and I told my husband, here is a piece of land, you design it. <laughs> so we built a six story, five unit condominium building and it took me about three years. And during those three years, I got pregnant, I gave birth, and my daughter turned one. <laughs> um, I got, yeah, and it was actually a decision to whether, I, I was making a decision between going to a real estate development grad school at Columbia or NYU or that, and I decided that. <laughs> um, so, and then, and then I, I will tell you a little bit more about how Derek and I met, but, and then I met up with Derek and decided to um, form YD because alone was very lonely. Uh, doing it all by myself was very lonely. I'm not a, I'm a very extroverted person. I needed to do it with somebody else. So I uh, joined forces and we started YD development. Um, I think it's in one of our videos that we uploaded on YouTube, uh, how we started our first project together. Um, but that's, yeah, that's pretty much my background. We'll go into other details uh, later. I think the theme in that story is boldness and courage, right? To leave your law <laughs> profession, to buy a piece of land in Harlem and to develop. So that's fantastic. And I want to hear now from Derek, because, uh, you know, what is your background? What's your story, Derek? Sure. And thanks for having us on the show again. Um, so, yeah, my background is anything but typical to get into real estate. Um, so I guess I can start from college because that's where I first got the idea that I wanted to do real estate. Um, and even there, I was planting the seeds of just not doing things the normal way because I started with an engineering major um, and I followed the track for, uh, I was actually doing computer science and electrical engineering for about two years. And I followed that track until I just like flipped out. and I was like, no more. <laughs> and um, real estate was super hot back then. This was like 2002. Um, people were able to get like 110% mortgages uh, to buy a home. Um, so, and, and then also Rich Dad, Poor Dad was one of the hottest books on the market. So I was a little bit inspired by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, and then I changed my major to industrial engineering with a real estate minor from the hotel school. So uh, this was at Cornell University, so they had they had a really good hotel school, and I told myself I have to take some classes there before I leave. So my last two years there, I took half my classes there, um, and then I just barely finished the engineering major. Uh, and then I just kind of bookmarked real estate because when I graduated, um, the market wasn't like super easy to get into. 
um, and then plus engineering background. So um, instead, I ended up uh, teaching violin. <laughs> and uh, I, I worked for a defense contractor north of Grumman. Um, so I did that for a number of years. And uh, it was like the, the north of Grumman job was like the most traditional job you could have. Uh, it was in a, in a cubicle. It was typical nine to five, clock in, clock out. I was like, this is just not for me. So um, once again, I just kind of broke from the path and I decided, let me just start an e-commerce business. Uh, it was just out of the blue. I was like, let me, let me just sell something that I'm interested in, um, which was tennis at the time. Um, and I, I just went ahead, met some people and, and found some suppliers and just threw up an e-commerce website selling tennis stuff. <laughs> totally random, but I just ran with it. Um, and all the, all the while I was still doing my side hustle of teaching violin. Um, and then like in the first couple years, it was, it was a little bit slow to start because, uh, just like throwing yourself into e-commerce without a real business plan, uh, you're not really going to find much success. <laughs> so I added a third side hustle of, um, management consulting, uh, which, which started by just getting some temp jobs and then it turned into like actual consulting. Um, so I was like juggling the three of those things and, uh, each one of them kind of grew on their own and my schedule got super busy. Um, and let's see for the tennis store. Well, I, I ended up opening a physical retail space and it, it grew to a bigger space, uh, when the business grew. Uh, and I had a lot of local customers that I made friends with. Um, and I would play tennis with as many customers as I could. Um, and I was just constantly hanging out at country clubs. So um, it was like the perfect networking tool. And I, I got this impending feeling that Amazon was just going to completely take over my business. So I just wanted an out. Um, so between all the people I was meeting at the country clubs, like I, I could pick almost any, any industry uh, I wanted to work in. Uh, using my management consulting experience, which um, I was getting more gigs, more and more gigs on that front um, as the business was growing. So a um, little further down the line, I met a customer who was a little bit quirky. His name was Stan Gale. Um, and he was definitely a wealthy individual. Um, just, just the way he, you know, picked his purchases. He, he didn't really put any thought into it. He just said, give me the best you have and give me like four of them. <laughs> um, so like eventually we started playing tennis and I was like, um, so what do you do? And he introduces me to this website that's about a city in South Korea, Songdo IBD. And it's, I see this slideshow of all these skyscrapers. Um, and he's like, I built the city and I have a penthouse in the top of that, <laughs> that building over there. And I was like, holy cow. <laughs> and I think the next words out of my mouth were, I want to intern for you. And at the time, I think I was 30. So I would have been the oldest intern in this company. Um, but I was willing to just like drop it all behind and finally get into real estate. Um, and that's actually what I ended up doing. Uh, I arranged for the sale of my business. I stopped teaching violin. I stopped management consulting. Um, and technically, I became a consultant for him. Uh, because that's how I got started with his company. Uh, I did like a 
an analysis of his his people and his operations and suggested some things. Um, and then that led to a full-time job. And uh, while, while working for his company, which is called Gale International, by the way, um, they were working on the Korea project, which I mentioned, and a ground up development uh, on 20th Street in Manhattan. And this was a 35,000 square foot, um, $80 million condo with four massive penthouses. And I got to see it uh, start as basically a hole in the ground. Um, and then getting all the entitlements, doing all the filings. Um, and uh, we built the whole thing up and I saw all the way until complete sellout. So once uh, I felt that I had seen a full, full cycle of a project, um, I decided that you know, I should give it a shot to do this on my own because by then I had saved up a chunk of cash. And uh, that was right about the time that uh, Yuri and I decided let's, let's go do a project together. So um, yeah, towards the end of my time at Gale, uh, we were we were searching for projects um, quite a bit, and we had placed a bid basically um, the month that I left, and um, so the timing worked out really well. And that and that was for our Forty uh, Seventh Street project, uh, which if you've seen our video, uh, we talked about how we built it, um, how we how we met each other, uh, the whole background. So. Yeah, that was that was a pretty long-winded story, but <laughs> that's that's how I got into to real estate. There, let, let's stay with you, and then you know we have some questions about um, real estate development today, as it stands in New York City. Obviously, twenty twenty has been uh, a very interesting year for all of us, and um, you know New York City, while at the end of July where we sit, um, is is rebounding and things are opening back up and um, ahead of of most of the country. Um, Share with us what real estate development looks like in New York City right now. What are the transactions there like? Are you doing a lot of, you know, are you seeing a lot of ground up activity? You're doing a lot of renovation work, um, you know, and what are your thoughts and Yuri's concerns as you look ahead um, to what many people are considering, you know, some uh, challenging times with changing demographics of um, exodus from large cities and, you know, all these things that we are reading in the news. Um, what are you guys seeing and experiencing on the ground? The raw unfiltered answer is that it is an utter bloodbath over here right now. <laughs> Um, so I, a lot of people have fled the city and, uh, that naturally leads to lower pricing, uh, on rentals, especially, um, retail has been slaughtered because of the shutdown. Uh, so a lot of the small mom and pops have, uh, not been able to survive, un unfortunately. Um, so they're just not reopening, even though the city is, um, reopening a lot of businesses right now. Um, office spaces are still mostly empty over here. Um, so a lot of people who have left found that their companies allow them to work from wherever they are. So naturally people are just moving to places where it's lower cost of living and they're still making what they made before. So uh, pretty much every sector, maybe with the exception of industrial, has been hit pretty hard uh, in the last few months. Now, in terms of what we're doing, what we're looking for, what we're seeing, and what we think will happen in the market, um, we definitely don't think it's going to stay like this. Um, we do strongly believe in multifamily. Uh, we even think office will make a comeback because it is New York after all, 
and if you invest in New York long term, you can't go wrong because um, it is the biggest city and the most dense city in the U.S. Um, so we're going to continue doing our thing in multifamily. Uh, we are looking for we're looking for deals, obviously, because uh, we believe that because rent rolls are being hit all across the board, uh, especially due to the turnover in the summertime, um, we're going to see some price correction in the next few months. Um, and that's, that's not even factoring in um, the whole wave of evictions we're going to see coming, non-payments, vacancies, um, and, and foreclosures. Uh, because uh, there's, there's so many loans that are in forbearance right now. And uh, it's, it's wishful thinking to believe that everyone's going to pay their loans on time after, after the forbearance period ends. So uh, while we are also affected by this stuff, I mean, we're, we're running a, a few multifamily units and, and renting them out, and, and we see it firsthand uh, that the rents are dropping. Uh, we also see it as a really good opportunity to just cost average down um, and just scoop up some good deals while, while everyone's leaving the city and not really looking here. Uh, everyone's buying single family homes right now. Um, and it's an especially crowded space. Uh, and, and we don't really want to go where everyone is, is flocking to. We want to just stick to our core business plan uh, because it's, if we have a long-term horizon, we'll be fine. I'm, I'm curious more about uh, specifically, let's take a step back and Yuri, maybe you can answer this question regarding New York City, right? I mean, people always say I spent a little bit of time there. Jerry spent a little bit of time there. We all know that New York City is kind of commercial real estate on steroids is what I've heard it been described, right? And so everything's a little more intense. Everything's a little more competitive. Um, you know, obviously being a female Asian, you know, minority and Derek being Asian background, like how are you guys navigating you know, doing deals, finding deals, kind of networking in that market. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and, how, and how that's a benefit or a challenge for YD? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I don't think it's even about being Asian American in New York City. Here in New York City, it's so hyper competitive to the point that I feel like really good deals that are, you know, um, no-brainers. Um, I don't think we get uh, we're ranked high enough to get to those deals um, fast enough. Um, people joke that um, if you want a deal, you have to hire a female Jewish <laughs> teammate. Um, uh, I think that's how highly networked these real estate deals are. Um, I think we're still learning how to navigate through that. Um, we're trying. Uh, we're trying to be more systematic. Um, and more data driven to the to getting deals done and get finding deals uh, where to invest. Um, and another thing is, I don't think, um, it, especially post COVID, we're seeing more and more that people are not just in New York City. Developers here are everywhere. Um, people say if you can develop in New York City, you can basically develop anywhere um, because of how competitive and how uh, challenging it is to develop here. Yeah, but 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 to um to I guess be sort of play devil's advocate. I think sometimes being an Asian American does help because a lot of international money has come in um, from Asia, um, and a lot of commercial brokerages and other investors and developers 
acknowledge that power because um, money doesn't lie. It doesn't have a face. So to a certain point, I think people sort of expect that we, I don't know, it's, it's like every Asian is the same. So they sort of somewhat expect that you have that kind of network um, if you're Asian. Um, so interestingly, I think we sometimes benefit from that um, as sort of having that kind of capital ready. And I want to hear a little bit more about that piece of uh, land that you have in Harlem, Yuri. I mean, what, mm -hmm. so we have people listening, a lot of our audience is younger, you know, professionals who are looking to maybe switch careers or go into commercial real estate. Um, I love the theme of like your courage and your bravery. You found a piece of land and what do you do with it? Like, tell us a little bit more about that story and maybe like some advice that you would give some of our listeners who are interested in getting to development and, and you know, how, kind of how you hit the ground running. Yep. I mean, I just, a disclaimer, I do not recommend this to everyone. <laughs> uh, buying a piece of land and just start building uh, without any background in real estate. Um, I actually looked for... Um, townhouses to rehab for about six months back in 2013 I think I think all of 2013 I spent looking for a townhouse not because I was looking at it um, from a numbers perspective but more of it was more of a fantasy like to be able to because I watched so many of these like rehab shows on TV. I think a lot of people approach real rehab fix up, um, fix and flip um, from that perspective, which is, oh, I do not think is the best way to approach. Um, but that's how I started. I started looking at beautiful townhouses that were pretty run down and mostly in Harlem, obviously because of um, the affordability and um, looking at maybe 50 and more townhouses with my husband, um, we decided that rehabbing could actually be more risky um, because we didn't know what was behind those walls. We didn't know the, um, we, didn't, we didn't like the unknowns in these buildings. Um, so I thought building on a clean slate would be less risky. Little did I know. <laughs> um, and so, after nine to 12 months of searching, I came across this land, which was about $600,000. Um, it was 18 foot by 100. Um, and the gross buildable square foot was around 6,000. So I would say I paid a little less than $100 per square foot um, and at the end of 2013. Um, and... That pricing was actually good because I think two years later it was trading at around 200. I think it, I think the land price went down a little bit more um, after 2019, but yeah, that's the price I paid. And then I found, I mean, I had an architect, but he had a full-time job. So I needed help from a licensed architect who was able to do this, all the, do the uh, filing work. So I found him through a friend. Uh, we, we designed it. We got a, we got our plans accepted. Maybe it took us seven to eight months. Um, and I found the GC. Oh, actually, the financing part was the interesting part because I didn't have any track record. If you are 
looking for ground up financing these days, it would probably, even for me, it would be difficult, um, even after doing um, three, four projects. But back then, I think it was a little bit less uh, restrictive. And I found, uh, I just cold called all these banks. Like I called almost every single one that I could find uh, individual contact for online. And I just started sending emails, called, explained myself how I'm equipped to do this. And um, I, this one guy decided to meet up with me. And it happens that his son, he owned a boutique construction loan company and his son went to Brown. So he was like, oh my goodness, you are like my daughter's age and <laughs> you're doing this. Very impressive. I want to give you this loan. Um, so that's how I got my financing. Um, he was a brilliant man. He remembered every single detail about the project, even to this day. Um, and so I learned a lot from him and I was able to finish the project, but there were a lot of hiccups in the middle. I had two GCs leave me uh, in the middle because they ran out of budget. Um, I had no one to turn to because I, even amongst my friends, nobody in my Asian network was in real estate. Um, maybe some residential brokers, but that was it. So I had nobody to ask questions to. Um, I actually helped that I joined uh, Brown University's real estate group, which had very successful real estate uh, alumni network. Um, so I turned to them, but even within that group, they were so like in a different league that um, it wasn't, realistically, it wasn't too much of a help. But still, like, I was able to uh, get answers for a lot of the questions that I had. Um, and another thing that helped was finding a good lawyer. Uh, I had a lawyer, Richard, um, who was very, very, um, he, I think he ran his firm for about 35, 40 years. And he was very knowledgeable in the area. And he recommended a lot of good people um, to me, engineers and whatnot. So that also helped. Um, yeah, and somehow I finished the job and I, I, I was actually going to sell them as condos. So I filed for offering plans and everything, but I ended up actually selling the building as a whole um, to a friend's friend, um, which was easier because condo sell sales was slowing down when I finished. Um, so yeah, that's how I exited. Thank you for sharing that. I think you two might be like the most uniquely positioned. Um, <laughs> how, how does a um, daughter of an architect uh, living through your parents' expectation of going to law school meet a tennis playing, uh, violin teaching, e-commerce side hustler that just somehow like ends up building this thing? And um, as, as we're talking, I, I would love to encourage our listeners to uh, think about career switches and, and career pivots and how the world is moving. And um, as they use in the sports analogy, you have to meet uh, the ball of, you have to meet the ball where it's going, not where it's being kicked from. Right. So I think there's a lot of lessons that we're learning here from uh, Yuri and Derek about just life in general and then how we can all pivot from wherever we may be going uh, to wherever we want to go. Um, in, in light of what's going on in 2020, um, I do want to focus on sort of how you guys are approaching real estate development from uh, our perspective, all as 
millennials, but also in light of 2020, right? Like I do want to highlight the fact that we are so impressed with the amount of content that you guys are creating on your YouTube channel. Um, there are dozens of videos. Um, we've learned off the call that it's Derek's actual third full-time job to create content for YD development. And we are uh, really excited to share that with you. So there's a lot of great content on there. And you're releasing a video um, as you're listening to this on Wednesday about a new topic and a new part of the real estate uh, spectrum that may not be as familiar to some of our listeners, um, but that's something that we believe and uh, Derek and, and Yuri believe that will be a part of uh, living arrangements going in the future. Um, so Derek, tell us what co-living is and how did you guys find out about it and, and why are you guys excited about co-living? Sure. Um, so co-living as a concept has existed for uh, probably as long as roommates have existed. Um, but only in the last five years, it's become a more institutionalized real estate asset class uh, because uh, actual companies started packaging it up and calling it a thing. Um, and, and, you know, they provide a service around it. So co-living today is really uh, roommates for adults. And it has a value prop for both landlords and renters. Uh, on the renter's side, you get um, a room that is uh, cheaper than if you rented by yourself. Uh, so for example, in, in the New York market, you might find rooms anywhere between like 1300 and um, 2200 a month, which is way cheaper than a studio. Um, but on top of that, you get uh, furniture included, uh, utilities, Wi-Fi, cleaning service twice a week, um, events. Uh, so, so it's all these things that uh, take the pain points out of finding roommates and living with roommates. Uh, so you don't end up arguing about who has to clean the dishes and who has to clean the bathroom, who's, and how do you prorate the bills. Um, and um, if you're renting, on the other hand, uh, you have to pay for all that stuff separately. And um, like if you're, if you're looking at a comparable studio, you'll probably pay more right off the bat. So um, the, the reason why co-living can offer this at a lower price is because it densifies a building. Uh, so it takes a building with X number of beds and then it adds to the bed count uh, in the same amount of space. Uh, so your dollar per square foot in rent goes significantly higher. Uh, your OPEX is also going to go a little bit higher because you're covering all those added services for the tenants, but your overall NOI uh, increases significantly, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30% if you do it right, uh, which is a huge uplift to your overall building value uh, if you're repositioning an existing multifamily asset. So uh, that's, that's a value prop for the landlord side. Um, and co-living now has existed uh, as, as like a commercial product for about five or six years. So it, we've, seen, uh, we've seen that it's becoming much more recognized by lenders and investors. Um, they all know the big players, uh, like we work with Common, um, and there's others like, like Ali and Quarters, um, and and actually as a side, side effect of COVID, uh, the, the stronger operators are proving to be um, more resilient uh, because 
COVID has actually affected co-living quite a bit and it's knocked out some of the weaker operators. Um, but yeah, going back to how we started in co-living, um, I actually met the founder of Common uh, through my time at Gale. Um, so one of the former interns at Gale had this idea um, for co-living and he was, gonna, he was gonna start it on his own, but through his family connections, he knew Brad Hargraves, the CEO of Common. Um, so he was, uh, my friend Sterling, he was just uh, working out of the Gale office and um, he left to go work with Brad because uh, Brad had the same exact idea and he had a brilliant vision for it. He had funding because he had just exited his former startup, which is General Assembly. Um, and he had track record to execute. And my friend Sterling said, you know what? You should try to work for this company if you can. Um, so I put on my consulting hat and I actually did consulting for them on their first three buildings. Uh, so I, I knew their original team from about six people all the way until they grew up to about 30 some people. Um, and then uh, that was, by the time I stopped consulting for them, um, that was about when uh, Yuri and I uh, decided to start our own, uh, start YD together. So, Actually, uh, just to add on to that, our, our first building, we realized, uh, worked really well for co-living and not for condos and multifamily rent. Um, so, that's, so, so we just basically went straight back to Common and said, we have a building for you guys. So it, it worked out pretty well for us. Are you guys currently working on uh, projects for even given COVID? Are you, do you, are you bullish on the co-living market and is that currently a project that YD is focused on? So uh, we've actually finished two co-living projects uh, and we're working on a third multifamily value add right now. Um, so co-living has definitely been hit by COVID as I said before. Um, so I think it's just going to be a short-term hit because there's still a need for uh, co-living in the long term. Um, it, Remember, it's focused on densification uh, in some of the densest cities in the US. So naturally, it's not gonna do well when everyone is trying to socially distance. Um, but it, it does solve an affordability problem. And you know, if people are looking for jobs or, and people are looking to hire the best talent, it's always gonna start in cities first. So uh, the thesis for cities is still intact. It just hit a bump in the road. And, and we think it's the same as the same goes for co-living. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. So um, to wrap this up, we obviously, like I mentioned before, a lot of our listeners are students or early professionals. What advice, and let's start with Yuri, what advice do you have for people who want to do what you do and want to get into development? So we had this uh, battle or argument whether we should, advise people to go to grad school for real estate development and I what was interesting to me because one of May which is our uh, teammate she told me that most of her professors would say if you had a choice between buying a piece of land and going to grad school all these professors would say the former <laughs> um, I think um, to that effect I, I, I would say that anyone who's looking to do something you have to 
actually start. You can't forever looking for deals. You can't forever research and network. You have to at some point push that button. Um, and I think that decision has to, it's better to do it sooner than later in life. Um, and because as you go, everybody will fail at one point or the other. Um, but I think the sooner in your life you do it, the more you gain. Um, so I would say just do it. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not saying go throw out everything, go throw away everything that you have and sell every asset you have and then go into real estate. But I would say that uh, within, the, within the boundaries of your uh, risk management um, and risk appetite, uh, I would say start somewhere. Um, whatever is given to you, uh, I think, and everybody and anybody can get into real estate. That's fantastic. You have so many wise nuggets that you've been sharing with us, Yuri, and I love it. So thank you so much for that. And how about you, Derek? What, what advice would you give our listeners who want to get into development? Uh, let me see. First, definitely find a mentor. Um, for me, that was Stan Gale. Um, and working for him was really tough at times, but in retrospect, um, it was just him just teaching me lessons all along the way. Uh, he would yell and scream all the time, but he did have an ulterior motive uh, behind everything he did. Um, so it's, it's really good to be working under someone who understands the industry and will show you the ropes um, because you know, that, that way you don't have your own skin in the game until you're really ready for it. Um, so if you get the opportunity um, to, to find someone that you can work under, definitely go for it. Um, if not, then just network really hard until you find one that's willing to maybe at least meet with you like once a month or once a quarter and just give you advice on your, your proposed path. On the, the topic of the uh, masters in real estate versus buying your first property, a uh, little plug for a future video, I will be doing a rap battle about it. <laughs> so look out for that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I, and I would say uh, the best advice that I can give to our listeners is to go follow YD Development um, across all the social channels. You can find them. Uh, they've done a really good job with their branding and with their alignment. So it's at YD Development. That's Y for Yuri, D for Derek. I hope that's what it's for. Yuri, David, or Yuri, <laughs> Derek. found out our secret. That's a secret sauce. Uh, YuriDerekDevelopment.com and across all the social channels. Do subscribe to their YouTube page. Follow them on Instagram. Uh, look, what we're trying to do here at um, Agency Area Network is to inspire fellow agents in the commercial real estate business um, by being that mentor, right? And, and a mentor isn't somebody that actually has to spend personal time with you. Uh, we can do a tremendous amount of learning and growing and networking just through observing what other fellow badass friends are doing in the industry. So whether you're in New York City, in Seoul, in LA, or wherever you're in the world, um, let's support each other. Let's support each other through our you know, words of encouragement. Um, our likes, our follows, our, our subs, and you know, introducing our other friends in the business to each other so that we can grow the own, our own network um, so that you know, Yuri doesn't have to and Derek doesn't have to. And none of us have to really feel like we're alone and that we're out of options. Uh, we really want to build a powerhouse network here so that the next time a young developer says, holy crap, I just bought a piece of land. I don't know what to do. 20 people message and say, I got you. Call this person. Call that person. Let's make magic happen. So Yuri, Derek, thank you so much for doing what you're doing um, in, in a very tough environment across the globe. 
in two different places. Um, we're really inspired by what you guys are doing. Um, continue to kick ass. Do check in with us. And um, let's hope that we can see all we see each other all in person very soon to celebrate your successes. All right. Thank, thank you, you so much, guys, us. for having us. Thank you.